and welcome to Sexy Mofo, an ex-Mormon podcast dedicated to deconstructing Mormonism, overcoming repression, and healing from religious trauma. I'm your host, Ella Bolin, blogger, poet, and former garment-wearing, church-school-attending Relief Society president. Sexy Mofo is a place to share my personal stories, interviews with others who have been harmed by the Mormon Church, and deep dive discussions on gospel topics with an emphasis on exposing the church's secret combinations. Hello, and welcome back to Sexy Mofo. Today, we're going to be talking about finding yourself after leaving the church. It seems fitting as the new year is coming up to really focus on what I think is the most important goal that every ex-Mormon should have, which is getting in touch with who they really are. I hope that you've already found yourself, but reality tells me that you're probably still somewhere along the way. For me, I was an active member of the church for 10 years, and it took eight being out of the church to really start finding myself and get back to who I was before I left the church. So for those of you who have been born in the church, who are still living in communities that are centered around the church, who have family or friends who are still deeply embedded in the church, this process of deconstructing and figuring out who you are without the church in your life is even more challenging. This is one of the most important things that we can all work on. This podcast is not just about rallying with rage at all of the terrible things that the church has done, though certainly that is a big part of what we're doing here. But it's also about healing. It's about digging into the roots of ourselves and finding who we are and who we were meant to be and not allowing the church's influence in our lives to derail the entirety of our lives but rather to stand up, reclaim the time that we have left, and choose to do what we want with our lives, to be embodied truly and wholly, to be ourselves. This is what I want for you. This is what I hope this podcast will help you to find. I hope you will find a voice for your anger, a shoulder to lean on, a community of people who, like you, will not be stopped by the time that they spent in the church, by the years that they had robbed of them by the church. So today I'm going to be talking about what worked for me, how I rediscovered myself, how I rooted into myself and found who I was supposed to be again. I understand that this will be a little bit different than your process. Your process is your process, and it will be one that you painfully figure out on your own. I want to encourage you, though, to remember that the pain of that process is valuable in and of itself because you have to feel. You have to feel everything. You have to understand even 
the difficult aspects of life that in a lot of ways the church made us ignore or hide from, pretend did not exist. Now we have to confront reality, reality of ourselves, reality of the world, reality of the church, and this can be painful to recognize that things are not as they seemed, things are not necessarily as we want them to be in the world and even in ourselves. But as we grow in our understanding of ourselves, as we take the time to do that work and unpack those things that we're figuring out about the world and about the church and about ourselves, we really can find greater joy in life. And that greater joy is on the other side of giving expression and thought and space for all of your feelings, all of your thoughts, all of your emotions, and all aspects of yourself. You can't deny them anymore. You can't run from yourself anymore. Now is the time to stand rooted in yourself, whatever that may be. Now, I want to start with reading an anonymous post that was in one of the ex-Mormon groups. And this was the post that really made me realize now is the time and I really just need to put this episode out there. She says, I love my husband and I'm glad we both left the church. I also love being a mom, but I wish I could have experienced life before saddling myself to two people's lives. I served a mission and got engaged within a year of getting home. We then had our daughter within two years of getting married. Then we both left the church within her first year of life. I am now nearing the end of my 20s and feel like I missed out on so much. It doesn't help that my husband is not adventurous. So when I try to talk to him about these feelings, he doesn't understand. I don't know. I guess I'm just throwing myself a pity party but my whole life I lived the way people told me to live. And now that I realize that what I want matters, all the big decisions have already been made. Now I feel stuck because I have two other people to consider with each decision. I feel cheated out of life. These aren't new feelings, but with all of life's stresses right now, I find myself wishing for more experiences, more adventures. Anyone else share these feelings? Yes. Absolutely, to whoever wrote this, which I think it could have been so many of us, right? Yes, I think the vast majority of people who leave the church feel this. And especially if they have been a stay-at-home mom or they have not pursued their career opportunities that they would like to because of the church's teachings about womanhood and motherhood. But even men, the surprising thing to me in this story is that her husband doesn't understand and honestly give him a bit of time because I do think that eventually he will. You're still nearing the end of your 20s and he is probably around that age as well and maybe he hasn't realized yet just what he lost by the conveyor belt of the church, which it is a conveyor belt for young adulthood. They put everyone on a path and they make sure that you 
take that path and stay on it and live the life that you are supposed to live. You don't have any choice. You don't. You go on a mission, you get married, and then if you're a man, you work and support your family. And if you're a woman, you stay home and you take care of your family and have babies. Those are the things that you do. And regardless, either way, you devote significant amounts of time and money, years of your life in the case of missions, thousands of dollars in the case of missions, But even without missions, often hours, years, thousands of dollars to this church that then you realize was a waste of time. So yes, absolutely. I think we all feel cheated of life. I think we all feel robbed of the opportunities that we had available to us. Because how many opportunities are offered in those early adult years when Mormons are sequestered and sent to church schools and sent on missions and getting married rather than taking part in the opportunities that the world offers to young people. This is a loss and it is one that it's understandable for us to mourn the life that we could have had. In many ways, I'm sure some of us feel like the life that we should have had. And now it's hard not to feel trapped. I still remember when I was standing and bearing testimony that I just didn't understand why God hadn't given me a baby by my ex. We'd been married four years. All I wanted was to be a mother. I just didn't understand. Now I understand. I'm so grateful not to have his child. Not just because it means I'm not tied to him and I don't think he should have children, but also because I do have this freedom. I'm not tethered to another. This is a privilege. I recognize that not everyone listening to this podcast has the freedom of life that I do and that I did when I was leaving the church. If you are a parent, a spouse, obviously, yes, you have people who rely upon you. That is a reality. And especially if you love being those things, you don't want to do anything to cause harm to those relationships and to that dynamic that you've already established. But there is more time in the day than sometimes we realize. Technology robs us of a lot of time. And also, hopefully, not always, but hopefully, there is more time in a life than sometimes we realize when we're stuck in the thick of parenting and living challenging lives, which if you're transitioning out of the church, life is challenging, right? So it can be hard to see the big picture, the full arc of your own story when you are living it. My first piece of advice is it's never too late. It's never too late even if you have obligations to your family, to your children, to your spouse, you do have obligations to yourself as well, to your own fulfillment, to your own joy, to your own embodiment, 
to your own expression. As you pursue fulfilling those things for yourself, you will be better able to take care of and serve and love your family. You have to take care of yourself, your own needs. You have to take care of your own desires. You have to feed your soul. And there is no shame in feeding your soul. There should be no guilt in prioritizing your own joy, happiness, and expression in this life. That's what life is about. Sometimes we have to make selfish decisions in order to support our own boundaries and our own needs and our own desires. And the church has conditioned many of us not to stand up for those boundaries, not to even create them. So navigating that process can be difficult. But sometimes we have to in order to carve out those spaces that we need in order to feed our own souls. I would say this is something that most people who leave the church deal with. How am I going to reconcile what I want now with this grief and mourning of what I left behind, what I lost? We all have things in the past that we gave up for the church. And man, I'll admit, oh, when I first left the church, I had a lot of anger at the church and at myself. But we are a product of our experiences. Who's to say who I would be if I had taken that path? The truth is that I'm actually quite happy with who I am now, even though the path to get here was a little bit windy and pretty challenging at times. I feel like I am who I am meant to be and that I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I'm living my life every day to try to be embodied in the spaces and in the ways that I want to be. I wish this for you. I hope this for you. I send this to you through the vibes of podcasting and technology and whatever ways I can. The process to get there requires digging, digging deep. One of the things that I wanted to share with you today is actually a post that I wrote. It's on my blog, Living in Retrospect. And it's called How to Survive an Existential Crisis and Why Survival Isn't Enough. And it talks about the event that really precipitated me joining the church, which was my first existential crisis, my first kind of crisis of self. And that is what catapulted me into the church. In this post, I talk about how you can't just bury your head in the sand and survive an existential crisis. You have to deal with things head on. If you don't, that crisis will just linger and it will just be there waiting for you the next time that things fall apart. For me, it was when my ex chose to be a creep and go steal all those panties from that girl in her basement. Suddenly my life exploded again. This post talks about that existential crisis, the one that came before, and my experience of going through one, what I feel like an existential crisis is, and then eventually it gets to the process of working through one and really getting to the other side of one. So I'm just going to go ahead and share this 
post and then we'll talk a little bit more about it. Without further ado, here is how to survive an existential crisis and why survival isn't enough. If you spend any time at all analyzing yourself, your behaviors, and your life, an existential crisis is practically inevitable. If you're wondering how to survive an existential crisis, you've come to the right place. I've been there and hopefully I can help you. But more importantly, you need to understand that surviving your existential crisis isn't enough. And when I say existential crisis, a faith crisis absolutely is an existential crisis. What is there that is more central to our existence than our faith and our understanding of life before, after, and currently, right? This is an opportunity to evolve. Life is hard. People are mean. Dreams don't always come true. A messy divorce strips away your day-to-day routine. A faith crisis transforms your certainties into doubts. A coveted goal just doesn't taste as sweet as you expected. Whatever the trigger for your existential crisis may be, it's important to recognize that it is a natural part of your development as a human being. Crisis is an opportunity for growth, a chance to become an evolved version of your truest self. Survival simply isn't enough. So what is an existential crisis? According to the American Psychology Association, an existential crisis is defined as one, in existentialism, a crucial stage or turning point at which an individual is faced with finding meaning and purpose in life and taking responsibility for his or her choices. Two, more generally, any psychological or moral crisis that causes an individual to ask fundamental questions about human existence. For those of you listening, I would say that deconstructing from leaving the church definitely counts as an existential crisis because you are at a crucial stage, a turning point, where you do have to find meaning and purpose in your life and take responsibility for your choices. An existential crisis is fundamentally internal and external. Yes, it places our identity in chaos, but it also derails our ability to make sense of the world, other people, and the meaning of existence. An existential crisis asks the biggest questions humanity encounters in life. Who am I? And perhaps more importantly, why am I? A practical example of an existential crisis. My existential crisis crashed into my life when I was 16 years old. My parents, who in my eyes had always had the perfect marriage, were actually less happy and compatible than they had been letting on. Turns out that our Brady Bunch minus a bunch of kids existence was nothing more than a mirage I'd crafted in my own Nick at Night colored glasses. On a random school night, I learned that my dad was gay. My parents had been hiding it from everyone and they were getting divorced. I felt deceived. My entire worldview and the basis for my understanding of relationships was fundamentally altered. As a hopeless romantic whose primary goal in life had always been to replicate the wonderful marriage my parents had, this transformation shook a lot more than my outside environment. How not to survive an existential crisis. The first time around, I had no idea how to handle the internal earthquake of an existential crisis. 
I grew depressed and developed physical symptoms of the mental distress I was feeling. With the center of my life, identity, and worldview shaken, I was desperate for something to latch onto. I jumped into the first place of respite I discovered. You'll never guess what it was. (laughs) The Mormon Church. Rather than taking the time to process events and reshape my life, identity, and worldview, I replaced the pedestal of my parents' marriage with a new pedestal, equally outside of myself and inconsistent with reality as I understood it. First, I built my identity on my parents, and then I built my identity on the church and my own marriage when it came. Anytime the nexus of your identity rests outside of yourself, you are setting yourself up for problems. And as members of the church, we all put our nexus of identity in the church. That was who we were. But I hurled myself forward, feeling safe in the comfort and security of a community. But an existential crisis isn't over until you've actually grown. I spent a decade in the Mormon church, four years of which I was married. I thought I had healed and moved on from my parents' divorce. I didn't realize that the existential crisis of my youth still lurked in the depths of my unconscious mind. But an existential crisis isn't over until you've actually grown. And it wasn't long before another crisis, the arrest of my now ex-husband and discovery of his secret life, once again stripped me of my identity and called my worldview into question. Although the external situation was definitely a new crisis, the internal chaos I felt wasn't a second existential crisis. It was the unresolved existential crisis of my youth brought back to the surface. Painful outside events reminded me of the feelings I had been neglecting for a decade. I may have managed to move on, but I had failed to integrate the experience into my existence and identity, instead choosing to ignore it. It's hard to survive an existential crisis. I've spent almost half my life surviving an existential crisis. It's a strange limbo where you continue living even though you are uncertain of who you are, why you exist, and what you should make of the world. At some point, all of us experience an existential crisis. After all, what sets us apart from the rest of the animal kingdom is our ability to think about our own thoughts, to examine and question them. If you've never questioned your existence, are you really human at all? But questions can't always be answered easily. And facing an insurmountable, often unexpected, existential crisis really is like running into a wall. When your whole existence is called into question, how are you supposed to go on living? Suicidal thoughts are common in the midst of an existential crisis. The pain of lost identity and fear of the unknown are enough to cripple even the strongest individuals. Hamlet spoke for all of us in his age-old monologue, to be or not to be. That is the question. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles, and, by opposing, end them. In the play, Hamlet is supposedly insane as he contemplates suicide, but most people encounter the despair he expresses at some point. Should I keep going? And if so, how? Why surviving an existential crisis isn't enough. When you are in the pit of despair, 
it's easy to seek whatever respite you can find. Anything to quell the pain and chaos in your own heart and mind. Anything to stop the barrage of questions spinning in your head. Some people survive through alcohol, drugs, and sex. Some people survive through religion and routine. Most people survive by simply forgetting, ignoring the big questions and going on with life as though they don't exist, as though they aren't bubbling up from the depths of your soul begging to be dealt with. You take it one day at a time. You find something else to trust and believe in. You find another outside nexus for your identity. But surviving an existential crisis isn't enough. Pretending you aren't in crisis and failing to integrate your experiences into a new version of your life, identity, and worldview will only lead to more wasted years. An existential crisis isn't over until you've grown, and it will keep nagging at you subtly and occasionally re-emerging in all its vile glory until you have dealt with it fully. How to Evolve Through an Existential Crisis If you are experiencing an existential crisis, your life, identity, and worldview are not in line with your true self and or reality. This is an opportunity for growth. So it's time to stop hiding and start working through the crisis. The following exercise will help you evolve through an existential crisis to become your truest self. Yes, it requires writing. No, it won't be graded. Like all of life, this is a working document don't feel like it has to be perfect. Now, these next questions are available in the written version of this post, which is on my website at livinginretrospect.com. There is a link to the post in the show notes. So if you want to get back to these questions and answer them in written form, I would really strongly suggest that you do so. Taking the time to journal your thoughts Getting in touch with your real feelings, putting them down on paper is a powerful, powerful thing and a great tool for deconstructing Mormonism and for finding yourself in the face of an existential crisis. These are the questions that I would suggest you ask yourself. Number one, get grounded in the things you know. If you are in existential crisis, you have a lot of unresolved questions. There are so many things up in the air that it can be difficult to hold on to anything. The best way to deal with this is to get grounded in the things you know. Sit down somewhere quiet and answer the following questions. Or just think about them now. Some of them are big questions and you may not have answers to all of them. But taking the time to consider the things you know and believe gives you a reference point for integrating your existential crisis with your true self. What are your strongest beliefs? Your strongest beliefs, not the ones that linger from the church, not the ones that have been put on you by your family. What are your strongest beliefs? How do you determine right from wrong? What do you believe is the purpose of life? What are the most important life lessons you've learned? If you had a year to live, what would you do to make the most of it? How do you hope people remember you when you die? What are you ashamed of? What are you proud of? It's a lot of questions (laughs) and they're important questions. You could write a book about each one, taking the time to just think about them 
putting your thoughts into words on paper so that you have them whenever you need to look at them and reference them is incredibly helpful for finding your place, your center. Two, figure out what triggered the existential crisis in the first place. A lot of times we assume that our most recent traumatic event, life shakeup, or chaos is the cause of our distress. But often the real center of our existential crisis lies further back in the past. The things that are triggering you now are important and need to be dealt with. But before you start doing the hard work, you need to understand what you're dealing with. Take some time to evaluate your life. Have you ever felt the same way you feel now? You might be surprised to see how long you've been dealing with the same existential crisis. It's been almost 15 years since I initially encountered the deep-rooted questions that are propelling my current self-discovery. I just wasn't ready to deal with them back then and didn't recognize them for the opportunity that they were. So for most of you listening, a faith crisis leaving the church is enough to warrant an existential crisis in and of itself. But there may be other things going on as well. So it's important to dig into your past and see if there's anything else that's contributing to making you feel off-center from yourself. Three, determine what parts of your life, identity, and worldview are in crisis. Although an existential crisis feels all-consuming, once you know the triggers, you can usually see the certain aspects of your life, identity, and worldview are at the center of your crisis. For instance, my existential crisis centered on the fact that I had not noticed there were issues in my parents' marriage. It wasn't just that I didn't notice them or that I was wrong. It was that I built a large portion of my identity and life goals on the foundation of what I ardently believed was their excellent marriage. I felt betrayed by them and stupid for not seeing the writing on the wall, especially when my best friend's response when I told her was, hmm, I could see that. I wondered why they would lie to me, and I learned to distrust others. But more importantly, I wondered why I was so naive and learned to distrust myself. Of course, this is only one portion of the crisis that shook me. Take the time to evaluate how your life, identity, and worldview have been threatened by the triggers of your existential crisis. Make a list of the specific parts of your life, identity, and worldview that are in flux. Four. Evaluate your experiences and how they impact your life, identity, and worldview. Now that you know what is being affected by your existential crisis, you need to evaluate your experiences and how they impact your life, identity, and worldview. You are miserable because these things are no longer in line with what you have learned. On a subconscious level, you recognize that you aren't being true to what you know but you haven't brought this recognition to a conscious place where you can act on it. Now is the time. Look at the parts of your life, identity, and worldview that are in crisis and compare them with your answers to the first question. Think, let your mind wander. What is the problem? Why do you feel at odds with yourself? For instance, one of the parts of my identity in flux was my tendency to lie to myself when I encounter uncomfortable things. I didn't even realize this was something I did, but by evaluating why I felt so stupid for being duped, first by my parents' seemingly happy marriage and then by my own, I realized that there was part of me that blamed myself for not noticing. I knew they had been lying to me, 
but deep down I wondered, had I been lying to myself? Note, this is just one of many things I discovered by evaluating my experiences. There likely won't be a magical answer that clears things up for you all at once. This is a process for discovering what you need to work on, and the list is likely to be longer than you want it to be. Come back and add to the list as you continue to work through your existential crisis. Five, integrate your learnings, reshape your life, identity, and worldview. It wouldn't be an existential crisis if it wasn't complicated. Knowing there's a problem is just the first step in fixing it. Now, you have to integrate the things you've learned and reshape your life, identity, and worldview to be in line with the things you know and believe. This is certainly a process and can take months or years to complete. Many of the things you discover through evaluating your existential crisis will be deep-rooted habits and beliefs you developed as a child. Reshaping them is hard work, and you have to be patient with yourself as you work through them. But any step in the right direction is going to help you through the pain of the crisis and bring you closer to your truest self. Evolving through an existential crisis takes time and patience. Learning to stop lying to myself is something I've been working on for over a year, and the bad news is that I'm still working on it. Most of the time, I don't even realize I'm doing it because it's been an unconscious habit for so long. And that's just one tiny piece of the evolution my existential crisis has brought on. Evolving is hard. I guess that's why most of us ignore our existential crises rather than taking the time to work through them. But if you take the time to do it, you'll be more fulfilled, living in accordance with who you truly are and the things you know and believe. So that's the post. And I posted that on Living in Retrospect several years ago. Some things have changed. I was still only about halfway through my deconstruction process at that time. And obviously it was written for an audience that was not just ex-Mormons. So I didn't focus specifically or exclusively on the faith transition element. But certainly you can understand how faith crisis absolutely is an existential crisis. And what are these elements of your life that are not in line with who you want to be? These elements of your life, identity, and worldview that aren't in line with this new you that is developing. This is when we feel tension because we built a life, we built an identity, we built a worldview that was based on the church. And when that church crumbles as a foundation, suddenly that life, identity, and worldview that we had built up, many times it crumbles as well. And even when it doesn't, it no longer feels right. This is hard when you have a family, when you have made commitments, and when you have obligations. Many of the things that people find themselves really questioning are their sexuality and the things that they want to do and create in life. You know, are you even monogamous? These are questions that invariably come up as you leave the church and are seeking your own joy and fulfillment and embodiment. And depending on the circumstances of your marriage, if you are married, 
this can be really troubling. The truth is that sometimes relationships can't make it through a faith transition, especially if one spouse is transitioning and the other is not. But even when both spouses are transitioning, I think sometimes they find that they really have nothing in common. They don't even really want the same things out of life. And in those cases, you really have to have some difficult conversations with each other. And you have to have some difficult conversations with yourself before you can get to the place where you can have those difficult conversations together. If you don't feel like you are fulfilled by the life that you are living, now is the time to change that. Tomorrow, it's not going to be any easier. Ten years down the road, it's not going to be any easier. Now is the day to figure out what it is that is not settled in your life, that is at odds with what you want and need, and to work towards making sure that you can live your most embodied life that is true to who you are. My suggestions for doing this beyond what I've already shared today, first of all, your sexuality, that is one that we will be talking about more in this year. I have been on that journey and it is a difficult journey to be at odds with yourself, to even lie to yourself about who you are. What a painful experience to have to unpack. Depending on the support of your spouse, if you're married, that can make it either much easier or much harder. So we will talk about that more in the new year. The other thing that I would really encourage you to do as you're trying to find yourself is think back to who you were as a child. Think back to who you were before worrying about what society thought, about what everyone else wanted, before you became that people pleaser that we were all conditioned to be. Think back to what it was that brought you joy when you were first discovering joy. What brought you pleasure when you were first discovering pleasure? What are those things that have lit up your soul from the beginning? This is where I had to go. I had to go to the only things that I knew brought me joy. For me, that was writing. And I didn't even want to do it in the beginning. Years ago, I did not even want to do it. I couldn't just not speak because my voice was gone and I was traumatized into silence. I also just did not have the desire to write, which, how is that possible? (laughs) I'm a writer at my core. This is my identity. It has been since I was a child. But when we are going through a crisis of faith, it is a crisis of soul. And those things that we take pleasure in, those things that give us joy can be very difficult to find. And so I would encourage you just to to really go back and think, what were those things that gave me joy? And start 
incorporating them into your life. Start following those threads. Start making time for those things that give you joy. And if you have obligations, if you have kids that you're taking care of, if you have a job and a spouse and all of these things that you're doing, it is hard. I know the world is just in chaos right now. It can be so difficult to find that time. Even if it's only 10 minutes a day, give yourself time to do the things that bring you joy. Spend time with yourself. Cultivate your own joy. Don't feel guilty about it. And 10 minutes is really a minimum. We can all find 10 minutes. We can all wake up 10 minutes earlier. We can all find 10 minutes while we're waiting in line for something else. Carve out a little piece of time. But really, I hope you will take more time than that. You deserve more time than that. You deserve an abundance of time. You deserve as much time as you have to give yourself. Do the things you want. Do the things you enjoy. Create the things that give you pleasure and force yourself to do it in the beginning. Even if you don't find pleasure in it in the beginning, do it anyway. The other thing that I would really encourage you to do if you are struggling to find joy and meaning and purpose in life, especially this time of year, go outside. We need sunlight. Stand on the earth and just breathe in fresh air. Touch grass. Lay in the grass. Actually, when I was really at the lowest of my low, one of the things that really did make a huge difference was just laying in the grass for half an hour one day and letting the sun beat down on me, reconnecting with the earth and with my body, just letting myself be. You don't have to be anything other than what you are. You don't. Whatever you are inside, whatever is begging to come forth, whatever is begging for expression inside of you, that is valuable. It's never too late to start putting what you want to put out into the world. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how many children you have. I don't care how little time you think you have. You have some time that you can devote to yourself, to the nurturing of your own soul, and to your own expression, to your own joy. This is an important part of the deconstruction process. It's an integral part of reclaiming your life after leaving the church, and it is a process. We will talk about this more (laughs) in the coming months, I'm sure. If you have been through the process and feel like you have a story to share about reclaiming yourself, your identity, your joy, your passions, your career after leaving the church, then please reach out. I would love to interview you. Thank you for just listening, for being here. 2023 has been another chaotic and absurd year, but I think 2024 is going to be beautiful. And I hope that it's beautiful for you. I hope that it brings you so much joy and health and prosperity and peace and all the things that you and those you love and care about need. As you are moving into this new year, I hope that rather than pushing yourself to be better, to be 
something different than you are. I hope instead you'll try to just be you because the world needs you. The church tried to rob the world of you. So you have to make up for lost time now. Me too. That's okay. That's not a problem. That just means that we have to live a bit more boldly now and do a bit more now. That can be a very fun process. And I look forward to embarking on it with you. Thank you so much. Happy New Year. Well, that concludes this episode of Sexy Mofo, an ex-Mormon podcast dedicated to deconstructing Mormonism, overcoming repression, and healing from religious trauma. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure chatting with you today. As a reminder, I'm Ella Bolin, and you can find my blog, Living in Retrospect, my social media accounts, and other links in the show notes. I'd love to connect with other ex-Mormons and post-Mormons and... I guess just anyone who's even generally curious about the absurd things that we have lived through. Sexy Mofo is a new podcast and there are a lot of things you can do to help get the word out there. So if you enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll take the time to consider sharing the episode or the podcast on social media. If you have ex-Mormon friends or any ex-Mormon groups that you are a part of. Also, it would be so helpful if you left a review. This is a new podcast and there's a million other podcasts out there. It can be really overwhelming for people to figure out what they should listen to, whether it's worth adding something to a list to listen to later. So taking the time to leave a review if you enjoyed this episode is incredibly helpful to help people know what they can expect when they land on the Sexy Mofo podcast. Obviously, Sexy Mofo is a place for me to share my own personal story, but this isn't about me. If you've been hurt by the Mormon church, you're not alone. Just the process of leaving the church is incredibly, incredibly difficult. And so please be patient with yourself if you are transitioning out of the church, if you're deconstructing Mormonism, If you're healing from religious trauma, just please be patient with yourself. Get therapy if you need it. Surround yourself with others who've been through the journey and know that with time and and patience, things can get better. You can rediscover yourself. You can heal from the literal brainwashing that you have been through. It's hard no matter what, Um, even even for just an, a random person transitioning out of the church, it is difficult. But as we've discussed in this, this podcast, abuse is rampant in the church. And if you have been hurt in that way by a member of the church, or if you have experienced, um, you know, it, abuse or harm, at the hands of a leader or a family member who was a member of the church or even just a random person who was, or even if you just experienced abuse and did not receive the support that you needed when you, when you 
told your leaders or your family about it. The pain and trauma of that is very, very difficult to overcome. Please make sure that you are resourcing yourself with the things that you need, with the support that you need to help you get through the difficult things you've been through that were not your fault. If you are in a place in your healing journey where you feel that it would be helpful, beneficial to you to share your story, then that is what this is here for. I hope that you will consider reaching out. Um, You know, you can find me on my social media. You can connect with me that way. I have also included a link in the show notes, um, at least if you're on Spotify. Um, I'm not sure if it shows up everywhere else, but at least if you're on Spotify, you can actually call in and leave a voicemail for or a voice memo um, for the podcast, for the Sexy Mofo podcast. And if you feel like doing that, if you have a story that you think fits the, the theme of this podcast and that you feel like sharing, I would be honored for you to, to do that and to give you a place to speak. Obviously, anything that is submitted um, will be, will have to go through, um, you know, a process and, and I, I can't guarantee that everything that is submitted will be published, but I do encourage you to, to consider that a place that you can use if you have a story that you feel needs to be shared. I am at I'm intending to incorporate those messages in future episodes and look forward to creating a place where all voices can be shared um, because there's a lot that needs to be said. And I look forward to making Sexy Mofo a place where people can safely speak about their experiences and help one another deconstruct Mormonism, overcome repression, and heal from religious trauma. By their fruits ye shall know them. And so we did. Be well.